Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. For those of you who know me and my story, you know that I adopted Miguel. You know that he came to me as a four-year-old and the challenges that I had with him. And one reason that I got into this work with trauma that I have not shared with many people yet is actually my father. And my father was adopted. My grandparents who adopted him were immigrants from Armenia, and they had survived the genocide and a death march. And literally my grandfather, when he was a teenager, went through this death march having had to leave all of their family possessions, their house having been burned down, their business having been burned down, and they're being marched through the desert. And along the way, family members are killed. My grandfather's grandparents were killed in front of him. And this story has really shaped who I am and what I want to bring to the world. Because at the end of that death march, they are at this area where they are surrounded by mountains behind them. And the Calvary is starting to get ready for their morning massacre, where they're going to kill all of these people. And realizing this, my grandfather's father says, there's only one way out. Like, we're not going to survive if we stay here. We have to try to get out. And so in the night, once the sun set and all of the Turks were starting their partying for what they knew would be the morning massacre, they started crawling out on the sand on their bellies. They couldn't lift their heads up high. They would be seen just by the lights from the torches and the fires that were going on. And so literally they had to stay down on the ground. And this was my grandfather, his sister, his mother, and his father. And they crawled out onto the sand for hours until they were just past the guards who were in that area. And then they knew that they still had one more layer to go, but it was near dawn. And so what they did was that my grandfather's father started building kind of like a cave into the sand. And he tucked in the sister first, the youngest girl in the family, and then my grandfather. And as he was tucking in my grandfather, I imagine being there and I imagine being that one that's, that's having my father tuck me into the sand and cover my head over so that I wouldn't be seen and not knowing if I'm ever going to see my father again, not knowing if I'm going to live through the experience. And he said to his father, please take care of yourself. He knew that as a child, like he wouldn't be able to make it if his father didn't make it. So it was that one last plea of please dig yourself a hole too. Don't neglect yourself. Take care of yourself. And they all survived that night. The cavalry did pass over them and they did. One of the horse's hoofs hit my grandmother in the neck and they did not notice them. They did not see them though, but she always had migraines and headaches after that chronic neck pain, but they survived. And as I look at what I want to bring to the world, that is so much of what I want to bring, like that spirit of resourcing ourselves, of surviving the challenges that each one of us faces in our life, because life is going to bring us challenges. Like that's a guarantee. And how are we going to face them? Are we like many people going to be the ones who are overpowered by the fear in their life and they stay, they stay in that spot that they've been told to stay 
surrounded by mountains behind them. They can't leave that way. They've got guards in front of them. They can't leave that way. And so they just stay and they die. And there's many of us who have let a part of us die. And yet we go through our daily life. We go through our daily life settling for having that place in ourselves feel a little numb, feel dead. And we think that this is, this is what life is. And yet what I want to bring is that fight and that spirit back to trauma where I'm not going to just wait here. I'm not going to let a part of me die. I'm going to fight to be fully alive. I'm going to be, I'm going to fight to thrive. I'm going to fight for life. And when I see all of the people walking around right now and they're living in so much fear, they have let a part of themselves die. They are not fully alive. They're not fully alive to the possibilities of life. They're letting their fear keep them small. They're letting their fear keep them paralyzed and not actually reaching out and fighting for their own life. It was after that that my grandfather went to the main city and found a boat. And there were three boats that were taking people away from uh, Armenia at that time. One was headed towards South America and one was headed towards San Francisco, America. And he happened to get on that boat. And so he comes over and he uh, marries a fellow Armenian who also survived that time period. And they find out that they're not able to have children. And this was such a heartache for them because family was so important to them and being able to pass on that family spirit of survival that they had just experienced. And so they decided to adopt and they adopted my father. And so growing up with a father who was adopted and who struggled with a lot of the insecurities that can come with being adopted, I got to witness firsthand. And it almost is like I got to experience a lot of his insecurities because since he was never happy and able to accept himself, he was not able to be happy and accept anybody else. And so as a young child, I could see the pain in my father's eyes. And as a young child, I tried to be the one to fix that pain. Of course, that's what we do when we're children. And being able to see how much that he was hurting inside. And it really moved me to want to help people. It was one of the reasons why ultimately I decided to become a physician was to be able to really help touch that hurt and that pain inside of people and be able to fix it, be able to make them feel better, be able to take it away and have them just be lifted of that burden and feel that joy, that happiness that is available to us in life. And as I've gone along my journey, and I've met many, many patients now, thousands of patients that I have taken care of, both in general surgery residency, and then in addiction medicine residency, and then running the addiction medical detox units, and now working with people around the world who are working on, working on their life, working on becoming their, their best selves with their best health, knowing that they've experienced hardships in life. It is so common for me to see this inner pain whether a person has a story of being adopted or not. There are life experiences that we go through, many that we don't even have a conscious awareness of, but yet our body remembers it. We call that implicit memory, where our body remembers what we have been through. And as we look back even in early, early life, we can see that there are experiences that we go through that 
might have, would have been overwhelming to us at that time in our life. Being an infant, being completely dependent on somebody else for our needs. What were those experiences maybe that became overwhelming for us? Maybe it was even something in utero and being exposed to our mother's stress and her cortisol. Did you know that a mother's cortisol during pregnancy, if it gets too high at certain times in her pregnancy, it's actually a neurotoxin for the baby. And yet, how would you remember that, (laughs) right? And so many, many of us don't have any conscious awareness of, oh, I've been through this big traumatic thing. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for those times in any of your life experiences that were overwhelming to your system. When you were born, we can look at all of that process. Every child who was born either premature or needed to go to the neonatal ICU, all of them experienced significant overwhelm. Just the fact that they were separated from their biological mother is a serious overwhelm at that time in their life. Now, of course, we can look back as adults and be like, oh, that's not a big deal. As an adult, I know that I was being taken away for a good reason. The nurses needed to give me some fluids. They needed to put me under some lights. They needed to resuscitate me. We can look back and rationalize things. And that's where our brain is fascinated with making memory into meaning. But let's go back in that moment without having that knowledge that everything was going to be okay, without knowing why, why is this happening? Those things were overwhelming to us in that moment. When things overwhelm our system, our bodies literally change. They adapt in order to get through that overwhelm. They adapt in their physiology. They adapt in the hormones. They adapt in their chemistry. They adapt in their bracing patterns even. And we can see these tension patterns that are lifelong as a result of early life experiences that just were overwhelming. And in order to survive overwhelm, our body does an amazing thing called adaptation. The problem is, is that we continue to live with those adaptations. We don't get better. This is one of the principles of trauma work. Time does not heal. We want to think that it does. We tell ourselves that it does. We tell everybody else, When they're going through a hard time, when they've experienced a loss, a betrayal, a death, right? Oh, just give it time. Time will heal. And yet that's not true. When it comes to experiences that actually overwhelm the body and it adapts in that moment in order to get through the overwhelm in the best way that it knows how to get us through, it continues to operate from that standpoint. It continues to operate from those adaptations. It continues to operate from those bracing patterns. It never reaches a point until we do the work. It never reaches the point where it realizes, oh, I'm safe. I don't need that bracing pattern anymore. I can actually let my shoulders down. I can actually take those deep breaths. No, what happens is that it stays in a state of looking for the danger. It wants to make sure that what happened to us will never happen again. In order to never have that happen again, it always has to be on the lookout. And so we build a fortress. We build a fortress that protects us. And we stand inside our fortress. We may have built it high and we look out and we scan for danger constantly. And that's how we think that we're keeping ourselves safe. And it is true. In a sense, in a sense, 
we are keeping ourselves safe by continuing to operate from these places of adaptations. And yet there's also no growth. There's no possibility for growth because you have to stay in your fortress. But right outside of your fortress is a trail. You look at that trail and you see danger because that's the trauma adaptations that your body is still operating from. And as you do the work, as you start to do both the body work, the somatic work, the parts work, the biology of trauma work, as you start to do that work and you start to increase your capacity to heal and to hold stress without it becoming overwhelmed, we start getting able to challenge your views of that trail. And now rather than only seeing possible danger coming down the trail towards us, we start to be able to ask the question, what might be down that trail for me? What I, might I be able to discover? What might I be able to explore and get curious about? When we are living inside of our fortresses that have protected us, and so they have served a good reason. And I'm glad that you've had your fortresses up until now. But when we're living from those fortresses, we're not able to be curious about anything because we're guarded. And that's how parts of us die, and yet we still live because we have to kill those parts of us that want to explore. We have to shut down that curiosity of, oh, I wonder what's down that path. Oh, I wonder what I could do. No, 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 no. That's not safe. That's not safe. Bring it back in. Squash that. Stay small. And we can see how much our lives have been affected by this. And this is where I get very sad because when I was first starting my healing journey, I looked back on my life and I saw how much time I had wasted living inside of my fortress. And I made a decision. I did not want to waste any more time in my life. I want to have the capacity to step out. I didn't yet know how to have that capacity, but I wanted to have that capacity. I wanted to feel more alive. I wanted all those parts of me to be able to be expressive and to thrive in life, not to be being squashed numbed, uh, having myself in distractions so that I wouldn't notice it, but actually being able to live from a true place of this is me. This is who I'm meant to be. And this is my purpose in life. And I get to follow my calling in life. And so as you are considering learning how to increase your capacity for life, ah, like I so encourage you to just hold that vision, hold the vision of what is possible. I didn't know what was to come. I didn't know what my life would become did not know what was down that trail for me, but I held the vision of what was possible, of what might be down that trail if I could just stay consistent with the work and be able to build my capacity to experience life and not be overcome. Another principle around trauma work is this idea of flexibility. No, we're not talking about the gym and acrobats and becoming gymnastics expert. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the flexibility of our nervous system. And one of the adaptations that happens as a result of trauma is us becoming rigid. And we need things in a certain way. We need things in just the right way. And if it doesn't happen in just the right way, we get scared because we don't know if we're going to be okay. And so we shut a lot of things out of our life in order to keep things rigid. We put rigid walls around our heart in order to not get hurt. We put rigid walls around our belief system so that we're not challenged by the, any ideas that would get us out of our comfort zone. 
And one of the things that changes when we start to do this trauma work, it's, it's not something that we are trying to do. It's not like the, the focus of it. It's just a natural side effect. And what happens is that our system starts to become more flexible. And as we go through a situation that previously would have knocked us over, now we're able to take it and we're able to think about it and pause and then respond rather than having these rigid reactions like we used to. When you think of a bowling pin, right? And they're standing there and they're rigid. (laughs) It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to throw something at them and have them all topple over. But what if instead of a rigid bowling pin, we were more like a soft blanket and you roll even the heaviest of balls down that, down that path. And it doesn't topple it over. Like it just absorbs it and it's able to stay put. It's able to stand its ground. It's able to not be shaken. That's what I want for you. And how do we develop that? We increase our capacity for stress so that we can hold more stress and not be overwhelmed by it. And in that process, our system becomes more flexible and we can have challenges in our life that present themselves and we roll with it rather than becoming rigid and then falling over with it. I so encourage you to take this first step. Take this first step of doing the work. We're not gonna do the whole entire journey right now. All we start with is just the next best step. And for you, this next best step might be signing up for this course. It might be changing your diet. It might be starting a new supplement. But as we look at all of the tools that are available for us of increasing our capacity, what starts to happen is that things that became too heavy for you, now you start having the strength to be able to hold them up again. And when we think of trauma, it's exactly what what it is, right? Stress is us kind of holding up rocks and we've got all these rocks and, and we're trying to hold them up. And the minute that those rocks become too much and they crush us, that's the moment of trauma. And so as we work with your system and we start to increase your capacity again, guess what? You pick up a rock and then you're able to pick up another rock and you're able to pick up another rock. And all of a sudden you're able to hold all of these things in your life that before would have been overwhelming would have sent you into a corner, would have sent you wanting at least to run away, go into your bed, pull the blankets over your head. And now you find yourself being able to stay present with a problem. And now you're able to problem solve. Now you're able to do some creative thinking. And it's almost like it surprises you. It's like, where did this come from? This hasn't been me. And you're able to stay present in times of confrontation, times that would have triggered you before. But now you're able to stay present for more and more, and then more, and then more areas of your life until you barely recognize yourself. And this time it's in a good way because you love the changes and you love who you have become. And you see yourself as truly having become the person that you knew that you always were. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey, and you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love.